this is the Shanice Lewis Show, the number one podcast for plus-size women. With your host, the queen of curvy conversation, Shanice Lewis. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Shanice Lewis. Today is Thursday, October 4th, 2018. Make sure you're following the show's social media pages on Facebook at The Shanice Lewis Show and on Instagram and Twitter at Shanice Show. You can also subscribe and listen to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, or iHeartRadio or your favorite podcasting app. Today, we have a very special guest, actress Jen Ponton, a comedic force constantly serving up big laughs on screen. A Muppet enthusiast, horror, horror fanatic, and body love activist, Jen's season resume continues to grow. Jen appeared on the groundbreaking drama Dietland on AMC as the recurring character Ruby. She has also guest appeared on The Blacklist, 30 Rock, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Deadbeat, Orange is the New Black, Blue Blood, Boardwalk Empire, Law and Order SUV, The Slap, and The Good Wife. Jen's film credits include a starring role in the indie film Love on the Run, the Warner Brothers film Going in Style, and Chuck. Jen is also a producer and writer with several pilots in development, and we're so excited to speak with her today. Let's welcome Jen to the show. Hi. Hi, Shanice. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being on the show. I'm excited to talk with you and see what you're up to, but let's start from the beginning. So when did you start pursuing a career in acting? I got the bug as a very small child. I I knew that that was what I wanted to do pretty much from the age of like three or four, Um I didn't have <laughs> I didn't have any opportunities to do anything until I was solidly in high school. So I grew up in a really small agricultural area in Jersey, and we didn't really have any like community theaters at the time or any youth programs for kids to get involved with. So I kind of had to just sit on this desire to be a performer. Um, until I was like 14 years old and then had drama club and speech and debate and all these great opportunities to get to do what I wanted to do. Now you were born and raised in New Jersey. Yes. (laughs) So you were right by New York. So why wouldn't you have opportunities in the entertainment industry at a young age? Uh, I think in order to do that, you have to have parents who are on board with having a child actor, and okay. I was raised by very practical, serious computer programmers. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and you know, in hindsight, everything is for a reason. And seeing what happens to so many kids and young adults when they're exposed to the industry that early, you right. know, I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I would have handled it really well. So, I'm happy that I just got in solidly in my 20s. That was fine. (laughs) Right. And now, as a plus-size working actress, what are some of the obstacles you face in the entertainment industry that your thinner peers don't? Um, They have thankfully shifted a little bit, um, the obstacles. 
And I found more so in theater than anywhere else. It was almost impossible to find inclusion. And so I would go on audition after audition for plays and musicals. And, of course, the problem with plays is a lot of them are not new works. You see, Mm -hmm. most of the jobs available are for pieces that were written 10 and 20 years ago, Um, all the way from, like, you know, the early Cole Porter musicals to stuff that's been a Broadway hit in the past, you know, in the recent past, like Avenue Q and stuff like that. And because they are already so solidly uh, anchored by the characters that are written there, there's really Mm -hmm. very little imagination when it comes to how they might cast particularly these female roles. And so you have women who look the exact same. They're, uh, they're usually white. They're usually very beautiful. They're usually very thin and slender mm-hmm. ingenues. And it's a, huge, um, it's a huge barrier. I found theater to be the hardest place to um, be noticed and have an opportunity to thrive, which is both, I think, unexpected by the general public uh, mm-hmm. because we think of theater as, you know, this experimental place. But it was, uh, it was very frustrating. And I found that film and TV was much more open to having roles that looked like real people, whether it became, you know, having more diversity inclusion with characters of color whether you had people who kind of looked like your average Joe or Jane on the street, um, I found so much more acceptance and possibilities to thrive and actually make a living when it came to on-camera roles. And I would say that in the past several years, as the kinds of roles that I play change, and as I'm not, you know, handing anyone a pizza anymore and telling them, you know, that's 1535, sir. <laughs> um, <laughs> what it turns into now is more of when I'm going out for like starring roles on shows, mm-hmm. it turns into what, how to open up the mind of the writer or the showrunner or the network to see the possibilities of, well, maybe you imagined this woman as a manic pixie dream girl who looks like Zoe Deschanel, but maybe, in fact, she has all of those qualities and looks completely different from what you had anticipated. So mm-hmm. that's where I find um, the challenge to be these days. Uh, there are a lot of times that I'll go out for things that even think they might be open to a character of size, and then mm-hmm. they end up casting her, and she's like a 10, <laughs> like an 8 or right. a 10, you know? Which is somebody um, of size in Hollywood. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so as you transitioned into more television and film, and you were seeking representation with the agent and a manager, have you ever been pressured to lose weight or change anything about you to advance your career? Thankfully, no. Um, and I think, I think a significant portion of that is like, if I 
if I somehow, you know, turned into a size four, how would I be any different from anyone else? And I don't know that I've never been a small person. So I I couldn't even begin to imagine what my life would be like if I were, you know, straight size, like a normal actress. Um, But I have been very fortunate to have partnered with managers and agents along the way who really see what I bring to the table and they see my body as an asset and as something that brings a life experience that being in a thin body just doesn't. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've never, I've never been pressured. In fact, once in a blue moon, depending upon the project, I'll be pressured to gain weight. Um, Oh, wow. uh, Right. Because there are also, there's this disparity of like medical procedural shows too that want what we call large fats, right? So that might be like mm-hmm. a four, five, six X or above. And mm-hmm. they write these roles for, you know, compelling medical stories, which is its own problem altogether. Um, but then because there's not really an established place for actors of that size, they have to call in small fats to to convey these completely unrealistic stories like that have to do with, you know, not being able to be removed from a room and things like that. And I've had auditions like that that are really strange. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're unfair to people of that size because it's still so medically um, uh, stigmatizing, but let Mm -hmm. alone to somebody for whom that would not, that wouldn't be a consideration from your general viewers. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's an experience. <laughs> so despite it all, you've had some great successes with your acting career. Now, one of the things I noticed that you recently attended the Emmys and you are a member of the Television Academy. So tell me how that happened. I am a member of the Academy. Um, we've got... There are two branches. There's the L.A. branch, which is at the actual uh, Television Academy building in North Hollywood, and that's where, you know, all of the glitzy stuff happens. And then you've got uh, your New York wing, which is mostly producers um, and writers and then some actors. So uh, I was eligible to join the Academy because of my work in television in 2016, and mm-hmm. I joined, and um, and it's really it's a wonderful opportunity to get to uh, be a more active part of the community, to be involved in um, in elevating projects that you believe in, and um, there are lots of really great events that we that we have that the that the academy provides where we get to hear back from showrunners and writers and producers. So it's very informative. Um, now, what project did you work on that make you eligible to do that? I believe at the time you had to have been on something like eight shows within four years. And, um, and, and I did the math and it worked out perfectly. So I was, I was overjoyed. I think, um, the TV Academy is a little bit different than the Academy that does the Oscars. That, oh, okay. Um, that's much more uh, like 
<laughs> you know, you get your letter to Hogwarts from an owl in the middle of the night. You know, there's really no rhyme or reason <laughs> to it. It's a very elite, um, mysterious process that's, that's you know, heavily privileged. Mm-hmm. And um, the Television Academy has far more parity. Like, basically, you're eligible at a certain point when your resume um, matches up with their qualifications. So for actors, it's a certain threshold and for writers and producers and so on and so forth. Okay. I did not know that. So yeah. let's, let's talk a little bit about diet land. Now, how was the experience working on that project? Incredible. Really just a dream. Uh, the, amount of passion and inspiring female leadership during our our whole production was so wonderful, particularly in the face of, at the time, um, everything coming down with Harvey Weinstein, um, the Me Too movement gaining so much momentum. It was a very powerful experience to be with so many brilliant, passionate um, women committed to change in in every way. It's change in how you make a television show and the kind of of environment that you foster while you're doing it. Like, it's it's not cut and dry always, but male dominated sets, which are 90% of sets, um, Mm -hmm. they just have a uh, they have a, a masculine, aggressive energy. That's not always in a bad way. Sometimes it just means things move quickly and you're very ambitious. Um, but it can be in a bad way. It can be, you know, that people like to swing it around and show you who's boss. And you might get people yelling on set because that's just how they do things. Um, mm-hmm. And I think definitely as a woman, but I would say even more so for both men and women who are, who are just contract players. So you come in for your co-star or your guest star or your, or your like day playing as a hair or makeup artist that you learn to be small in that scenario. And you learn to try and make as few waves as possible because not only is it an intimidating situation, but you're a guest. So, like, right. you know, quote, unquote, what right do you have to right. to say this is not fair, this is not okay? Which I think And they replace you so quickly. Uh, right. So when we think about, well, why don't all these Hollywood people come out? We're trying to keep the lights on. <laughs> and there's so right. many of us who don't have the power leverage to be able to say you need to cut it out and, and act like a human being or else. There, that that power just isn't there, and there's too much at stake, you know. Um, so this set was devoid of that entirely. Uh, it's so rare to see women almost exclusively running the show as the producers who sit in the director's chairs in what we call Video Village, which is where, like, all the monitors are, where they can watch the coverage. Um, all women uh, our crew was heavily female as well, and things moved as as I'm sure you know, things moved so quickly and efficiently because that's what women do, and I think men at large <laughs> just don't realize it. Um, 
And there was there was no swinging of appendages. There was just calm, collected um, peace. And it was so lovely, let alone the subject matter that we were tackling. We felt like it was so um, – it spoke up for so many people who were feeling so small at that moment that it just – like we knew we were doing something really, really important. Now, where was Valiant Land filmed? Do you fly back and forth to L.A.? Are you bi-coastal? Um, I'm bi-coastal when it calls for it. So far, I haven't actually had to shoot anything at length in L.A. Um, most of the stuff that I've worked on continuously is in New York. Um, and we were potentially going to shoot in L.A. for this show, but we, we were stationed in Brooklyn and Queens, and it was perfect. Oh, okay. It really added okay. quite a lot. So Dialand got canceled after one season, which upset a lot of people. Now, do you think the yes. network was hasty with this decision? I do. Yeah, I do. And um, while I don't know the intricate details, I would, I believe that Marty and Saray and our and our producers were led to believe that the show was was getting greenlit for a season two. I, um, the AMC swung the ax really at the 11th hour and, um, they were, they were incredibly supportive of the show when we were in production and immediately before and after they were so enamored with it. And I just, yeah, you all were doing press and it was getting a lot of press. Yeah, they really seemed to believe in it, and I thought it was a very, um, a really great step forward for a network that's mostly masculine, right? You've got Breaking mm-hmm. Bad, you've got Mad Men, you've got Walking Dead, and there are really great female characters in those projects, but it's all about killing and dominating, and you know, like, that's, that's life, and it's a very masculine approach. And this was really the first show with a female gaze that they would have taken on. Yeah, I think they were hasty. I think it was um, a last-minute backpedaling. I don't know. I can't, I can't speak to what goes on in their offices, but um, it really seemed to surprise our, uh, our executive producers. So I, I, I wish they had gone the other way, of course. Of course. And another reason why Dia Land was dear to you, I think, not only because it was a all-female lead, but because you're passionate about body positivity, right? A thousand percent, yes. Yes, totally. Um, and, and we've never seen something like this before. Uh, you know, there are lots of shows that, that have a lot of feminists undercurrents and plots, but this was the first one. And for a lot of people, the first novel to say, it's okay if you're fat, own it, deprogram yourself from what society tells you is wrong or ugly or undesirable or unhealthy and tap into your inner power. Inner power for a lot of us too, being huge, huge rage, which is, um, (laughs) <laughs> which Dietland was also only one of the only ones to really have the um, the strength to tackle because it's uncomfortable 
for all of us. It's uncomfortable for women to finally claim it. It's uncomfortable for men to accept that we have it. Um, I think Dietland was was hugely important, and I and I'm so sad. I mean, I would love to come back to it. I would love for for all of the people that I care about to be able to make more of the show. But the people that I'm most heartbroken for are the ones who discovered this and maybe had their first taste of not feeling total crushing self-loathing about their bodies. Mm-hmm. You know? And, like, um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, it's, this was, I think, an important lifeline in the same way that I found resources that allowed me to finally come to that place in my life. I'm afraid for the people who discovered this and now get the added um, stigma of like, well, but this show was not okay, and so it got canceled. So you're not really allowed to feel this way. I think that's so damaging, and I really hope that that's not how people feel. You know. Right. And this platform of this television show is not the only way you're involved in body positivity because I saw on your Instagram you mentioned you were celebrating ten years in fat yes. acceptance and fat activism. So tell me some of the ways you have uh been a part of this over the last years. Well, um it's funny, you and I met at the TCF Expo, and right. I found Marie 10 years ago, along with a whole slew of other bloggers that made up the Fatosphere. And it was the first exposure I had had to anything under the umbrella of body positivity or fat acceptance. I learned about intuitive eating. I learned about all of the health myths and debunking that, you know, the the uh, the mirage of obesity, and it really helped to deprogram me. And I was shocked because we think, you know, we take in a lifetime of this messaging. You wouldn't imagine you could ever undo it, but with the support of this community and the wisdom and experience of all of these incredible, almost entirely women, but some amazing men in there too, mm-hmm. uh, I found I found myself really believing and knowing in my bones that this was the right path for me. So it became a little bit like proselytizing. Um, At the time I was so young and I was just doing theater, but when I was at auditions and I would meet other fat actresses and I would talk to them and get to know them, you know, you'd get a sensation of sort of where they felt on the spectrum. And at the time, because body positivity wasn't a thing, um, most of us felt like, well, God, if I could only lose X without X amount of pounds. And, uh, and so I started to meet these larger women and say, well, you know, I actually just found this place. And I'd give them the website and I'd tell them what to look up. And what's so magical is that all of these, all of these actresses and people that I would come across, you know, even when I was working retail, if I would have an intimate enough conversation with somebody, I would find the opportunity to basically say, like, have you heard the good word? <laughs> and right. um, there are so many of them who I still know now for whom it really did change 
their life. It changed their perspective on their body. And it allowed them, as actors, I can say, like, if you don't, it's like RuPaul, if you don't love yourself, how in the hell are you, in this case, how in the hell is someone else going to love you? Um, How is someone going to want to cast you and see that you are a confident storyteller? And so for a lot of um, fat actresses, it was a huge, huge uh, door opening to them to seize the power to start writing their own stuff or to get cast in bigger and better projects. Um, And I've really taken that one-on-one approach all of this time until my um, until my platform became large enough that I could do things like speak on panels and um, and do like uh, the fat acceptance conference or the fat activism conference. I did a big speech for them um, last year and to just use my voice and use my uh, status as it's gone up to reach more and more people. That's really, that's really at the crux of, of everything for me. Am I able to connect with the people who need this connection? And so Instagram has been helpful. Uh, being an up and comer has been helpful. And as an artist, um, seeking larger platforms too, being able to go from theater where I might be, you know, talking to 200 people in an audience to television, which is going to get to so, so many more. I just think having the, having the possibility to be amplified and for more people to have accessibility is huge for me and my commitment to helping make life easier for other people. Now, do you take into consideration um, body positive and being a positive role model when considering which roles to accept? Or do you see it as work? Now, let me give you a little background where I'm asking this, because I'm an actress as well, and I lived in Los Angeles for 10 years. And one time I did a project, and I just got some ugly comments online. They were like, how is she supposed to be in body positivity, and now she's playing a character? That's the butt of a joke. But sometimes you got to work because you need money to pay the bills. So what's your take on it? Um, it, it depends for me. I've had, I've had some real, I've had some moments where that reckoning is there. And I think now it's harder because the bar, the bar is set a little higher, thank God, every year that goes by. And so like a role that I did in in like 2010 would maybe not pass that litmus test for me now. But just as an example, um, the film that I starred in love on the run, it's, it stars, uh, basically a fat ingenue who is incredibly confident in her skin and in her self image and self worth. And she's a dreamer. She's, um, it's a little bit of a Pisces. <laughs> she's uh, she's not really tethered to reality in many aspects, but she's like a smart, resourceful, responsible person who's just waiting for her prince charming. And um, and there are some fat phobic elements. Like there's really there are characters who don't treat her that way. Um, but I felt like at the time. This was the first time we were seeing a fat character who felt that way about her body since Hairspray. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? It's not perfect, but I right. think it's doing more good than harm. And I think that always has to be um, the question. Is this, is this furthering the conversation even a little bit? And, you know, it can be hard because when you're, when you're fighting for something, you want it to be perfect. You don't want there to be all of these elements that, you know, detract from the message. But, of course, there are. And people are naturally opinionated and, they're, um, and the Internet is full of lots of opinions <laughs> that want to be known immediately. Right. So, um, but I think, I think overall for everybody to be at peace, both artists and viewers, is this doing more good than harm? And if it is, like, that's your own witness test. There are, there are times that I would have taken jobs um, where I felt like, are we really still doing this? But um, thankfully, they don't come across my desk that often because, because of my reps and because of us being on the same page so thoroughly, they know to turn down roles that don't further the conversation. Um, and I think even to the level that, like, the casting directors who've known me for a long time, they know what I'm about. And so when they see the sad sack, butt of the joke, clumsy, uh, you know, like lethargic, lazy, sloppy, they, they, the, the offer doesn't really come to me because I think they understand what I'm going for. Um, and it might be harder to turn down, you know, a $10,000 job if I was getting those offers more regularly. But thankfully, I don't really have to make that call um, often. I would say the closest that I came in previous years is um, I actually tested for Chrissy Metz's role on This Is Us. Oh. Um, yeah. And the, uh, the, the way that she has openly said she's contractually obligated to lose weight through the series for her storyline. Um, at the time, we didn't know anything about the full story. We just had the pilot script. And the way the pilot ended was very open-ended. Like, you saw all the scenes with Kate and the, and the uh, post-it notes on the fridge. And, you know, she has a meltdown. But then she meets Toby. And Toby basically tells her, you're fine exactly as you are. And I was really excited by that. And I was like, okay, more good than harm, right? So we see a couple mm-hmm. really tropey scenes that are damaging. But then maybe we have seasons and seasons of her learning this important thing. And, uh, and so I, we got to the point where, I was, where it was test level and the contracts came through. And then the contracts were like, she's contractually obligated to lose weight. Um, And my manager at the time and I were very specific. And I was like, this is going to be problematic for me because I I come from disordered eating and dysmorphic um, habits. And Mm. I do not want to be put in a position where all of a sudden I'm reactivating those things. So we put a cap on 20 pounds because I figured like, whatever, 20 pounds is not going to engage those tactics for me. It's going to mm-hmm. be relatively simple because I am a larger bodied person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so minimal, but, 
and, and I was afraid of putting my foot down because I was also looking at this contract that was saying, you know, you're going to belong to us for seven years and we're going to pay you this much. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the thing I want to do. And, like it was the year that my father passed away. And I was like, oh, my God, how perfect that it's this show about these kids dealing with their father's death. And I was like, but I just can't, yeah, put the cap on 20 pounds and tell them that's it. Otherwise, I'm not signing. And it was terrifying. And waiting to hear back from them in L.A., I was like, I've just totally tanked my career. What did I do? And they, um, a huge victory was that they came back and they were like, you know what? Never mind. We're going to lose that whole stipulation for her. We still really want her to be in consideration. So forget all of that. And the fact that they were willing to tell a story that didn't have any sway by diet culture or by huge diet industry money, um, which was included at the time in my contract. It was like, she'll be a sponsor for Weight Watchers and she'll do commercials. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a really bad idea. Um, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know what did or didn't stick for Chrissy's because everybody's contract is different. Right. But um, – that was, to me, that was all the win I needed. And I was like, oh, my God, someone was willing to put an artist's needs and integrity above the boatload of money that would come from having, a, you know, a sponsorship with a diet company. Um, so that was really the only time that I've been asked to lose weight recently. And I was very, very happy that I stood up for what I wanted and what I needed. And I'm also really happy for Chrissy because now watching the show, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is the right fit. This is better. And I'm go and I'm glad that I don't have to do the things that she has to do. <laughs> now, besides being an actress, you're a producer and a writer. So are you planning to create more body positive projects that include plus size women? Oh, you know it. That is, that's a huge outlet for me, and it's all I'm interested in doing. Like, that is the through line of, of everything that I've written. Um, all of them have female protagonists of size, and their and they're success. I, I mean, they, they have different qualities. I think, it's, um, I think it's important to see women at all stages because we shouldn't just see ourselves as perfect high achievers. But I think because we never see ourselves as perfect high achievers, we should see some of that. So there are some of right. them who are really just like living their best lives. There are some of them who are, you know, a mess, but they, they do things that happen to all fat women that society refuses to recognize. And they have really good sex and they have good jobs and they do good work and they, you know, they go running and then they actually eat food and, <laughs> you know, they're full lives. And, and thankfully, um, I find that that's a really great way for me to feel empowered as, as, as my career as a writer and producer grows, I, because of the challenges that I find at this level of getting the writers and showrunners to really see in their mind's eye a woman of size at the, at the center of the story, 
I want to be able to provide those opportunities myself. I want to be able to, to do some of them, and I want to be able to pay it forward and, and elevate many other women of size as, as it all goes on. Well, that's awesome. So what's next for you? Do you have anything coming up we can be on the lookout for? Um, I am currently in development and in some meetings um, regarding projects that I have created, which is very exciting. Nice. Um, and I did, uh, I did a series of shorts that kind of feel like Funny or Die crossed with PSAs. Um, and they were sponsored by the city of New York, and they're going to premiere in November, and it's called Becky's Through History. And it takes <laughs> on, it's very uncomfortable, and it takes on white feminism and really challenges the notions that white women have had through history of how they are such good feminists but have left women of color um, holding you know, holding the bag and, mm-hmm. and suffering. And, uh, and it's a really important project. I think, it's, uh, I think it says a lot of things that we need to remind white women of as the, <laughs> as the midterms are coming forth. And, um, yes. and I'm, really, I'm really happy to be a part of it because it's, it's our responsibility. Like, come get your people. It's our responsibility <laughs> to to reach these women who are not being fully inclusive and who are forgetting a lot of people who really have led the way. Right. Well, that's awesome. I'm so excited for you and everything that you have coming. Your career is just beginning. I'm looking forward to seeing so many big, amazing things for you from you. So so much. Tell us your official website and social media pages so we can keep up with everything you have going on. My official everything is Jen Ponton, spelled like wonton but with a P, and it's jenponton.com and then at Jen Ponton on Twitter and Instagram. And my Facebook is really just where I talk to my mom and look at her pictures of life in retirement. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I enjoyed talking to you, learned so much. And again, continue success with everything you have going on. Thank you so much for having me, Shanice. I loved speaking with you and I'm so happy we got to do this. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you, darling. You too. I hope we get to talk soon. Me too. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. And thank you to my fabulous guest this evening for being on the show. I've been your host, Shanice Lewis. Thank you for tuning in and supporting. Until next time, keep thriving in your curves and be blessed. You've been listening to The Shanice Lewis Show. For more info about the show, visit ShaniceLewisShow.com.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.